630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Well, it was an amazing moment in late March when the Canadian men's soccer team locked up a spot in the World Cup. First time since 1986. Dwayne DeRosario, of course, played for the Canadian soccer team for several years himself. Never made it to the World Cup, but he was in the stadium when Canada clinched. Yeah, I mean, the energy was definitely present from from the time I got there. Uh, fans were there about two hours, two and a half hours before tailgating. And then when the bus pulled up, it was, you know, fans were cheering on the bus. Uh, lots of energy, you know, the whole the whole nine was just really made made the players feel welcome. And uh, that that uh, energy translated into the stadium. And um, it didn't stop for the whole for the whole game, and it just got more and more and more um, as the game as the game went on. And and uh, you know every goal we scored, as we scored more goals, the the first and after the second one, you felt the sense uh, of belief and and realization that you know this is actually happening. And then just I mean being on the field and getting to interact with some of the guys who just played in the game and there's the celebration can what was that moment like yeah. for you as an as an alumni of the team it's it's, it's hard to, to to put that into words really i mean it's 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 all the sacrifice blood sweat tears uh, commitment um it's it's why you laced up your boots in the first place to play football is to one day play in a world cup and have the opportunity to to play at the biggest stage and there's nothing bigger than the world cup so all those emotions just, you know, and, and it just filled you, you know, and, and, and it was, you know, it was, it was, it's surreal to, to be honest, to, to know that here we are, you know, uh, was it three, four days, so three days away from, from the get match and you still feel, um, you feel, still feel that excitement. You still feel that joy. And, and, and that's something that I'll, I'll have with me for the rest of my life to know that, you know, that I, I live to see that moment, you know, and, and I, and my only goal is to continue that on that mission now. And this should be uh this should be a mandatory for, for all of our, all of our national teams. Um, and, and, you know, this changed the landscape of football in this country, you know, it, it changed on so many levels that uh, we don't even know. Um, you know, there's, you know, it's, 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 it's on every, it's a tip on every tongue. It's a tip on every media's tongue. It's, it's on, it's on the TVs. It's in the forefront of everybody's yeah, homes. And, 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 you know, I think that's, uh, it, it's amazing to see. So I, I got to ask you this, Dwayne, because I, I was 12 years old in 1986. So I remember, and then I remember all the years some years close, just barely missed. Some years the qualifying didn't go as well. Mm-hmm. And then following the games this year, watching as much as I could, watching on Sunday and seeing Jamaica virtually never touch the ball. Mm-hmm. I'll put it to you this way. How did we get to be so good? Um, well, you know, we're always good. It's, it's just now that we're, we're, we're investing in, in, in the program. And we're putting in our resources in the right areas. And I again, I tip my hat off to the herdsman. He's demanding that. Um, you know, when you look at everything, came and fell into place as well. I mean, there's there's lots of things that that 
that that went into play towards you know what you see as the final product of us qualifying for the World Cup. You look back at 2007, um, and now 2006, sorry, announcement of of MLS coming to Canada, right? And Toronto FC having a professional team and and us selling out tickets. I think it was like the first week or two weeks or whatever tickets were sold out. And I think um, you know that was an indication of you know the, the the passion and support this this sport has in this in, in this city, much less this country. And then of course you know few 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 years later, um, Vancouver has a team, Montreal has a team, and you know with these teams are now um, focused on academy development and youth development. So now these now these kids are training with with professionals like myself and others that came before me and 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 alongside me and now they're under, now they feel a part of something special you know the the uh the pathway is very clear you know no longer did you have to you know go on this uh sometimes even a wild goose chase in, in europe or the rest of the world trying to find your feet uh, through this sport you it's here in your backyard now so 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 that closes the gap on you know narrative is is you know you could be you could be you know, develop with your local pro team and, and, and turn professional. You know, now you see CPL, right? So if you look at that team and how many players stem from MLS, how many players played in, 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 in academy structure or in that kind of, in one of the, one of the three teams, um, you cannot overlook the contribution that that has to the growth of the sport in this country, as well as um, you know the soccer or soccer stadium, soccer specific stadium like BMO and um, you know and, and what they Saputo did in Montreal and, and you know how they turned BC place into what it is. It's it's heightened and, and it's raised the level of this sport in this country. And um, all those um, all those aspects had, had a part to play. When I was a young kid growing up, there was no pro teams. There was nothing for us to look forward to. We were just all we had was our dream and our ambition that you know uh, one day we'll we'll play, you know, to play at the highest level in a, in a hockey country. So it wasn't it wasn't supported. That dream was very far and far between. Um, and now you see the opportunities that these kids have, and it's only going to you know grow more and more. It's a great answer, Dwayne. Thanks for sharing that. I, I want to ask you as well. Mm -hmm. You, you were our all-time leading scorer. Kyle Laren has nosed ahead of you. I assume it's a record you are you are happy to pass along. Oh, definitely. Rec records are there to be broken, and I think um, I I'm 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 very happy for him. You know, Kyle has worked very hard. He's another is another um, kid that you know has has pathway through the MLS and and has broadened his wings now playing in Besiktas in in, in Turkey along with. Um, Atiba and I'm proud of him. You know, I'm proud that more so that the fact that he he he's scoring goals that's helping us to get to the World Cup, right? That or should I say that has helped us to get to the World Cup. And um, you know, I, I, the sky's the limit for that kid. A lot of potential, um, great attitude, and um, you know, there's nothing, there's not a bone in me or inch or part of me that feels anyway more than just um, gratitude and and you know I feel very blessed to to have had that position for for quite some time and I feel very blessed to to pass it on to someone like Kyle Aaron. More with Dwayne after the break I'm going to ask him about Edmonton's own Alfonso Davies.
Okay, hope you're having a great day. Oilers practice today at Rogers Place. Kyler Yamamoto was not on the ice maintenance day for him. Uh, Noah Vander Kane, personal day for him. Both are expected to play Wednesday against the Dallas Stars. We've got a best of edition on Inside Sports tonight. We're going to pick up my chat here with Dwayne DeRosario, Canadian soccer legend who I talked to after Canada qualified for the uh, World Cup. And uh, I asked him to comment on the sensation from right here in little old Edmonton, Alfonso Davies. Very special. Um, he's he's a true Canadian story of, of a family that has, seek refuge in, in a stable country as, like Canada and a kid taking the best opportunity, opportunity of it, very similar to mine and a lot of other kids that have put on the Canadian jersey. Um, and to, to have that, to have that, you know, that, that uh, a kid so talented to be a part of our program and, and to be so greatly missed, but at the same time, you know, the team is still carry on like clockwork and still producing, just shows the depth of this team. But as you as you said, you know, it's not to overlook the value of, of what Alfon, uh, what Fonzie brings to the team and not only what he brings to the team, what he brings to Canada. You know, here's a kid from Edmonton in a in a football community that has really lacked representation for quite some time on the national team. And this kid didn't he didn't he went a step further and went international. So every kid in Edmonton, he should be a hero. You know, he should be their hero. He should be, you know, every kid should have a poster on his wall in, in Edmonton and want to be that be that player. Um, he's changed the narrative in Edmonton, and, and I'm hoping to see more um, talented youth coming coming out of Edmonton. And who knows, maybe a professional uh, MLS team in Edmonton. Who, who, who knows? Because there's obviously there's talent there, and we just got to resurface it. Uh, I know Lars Hirschfeld, is uh, from Edmonton. Uh, Tam Nazalwa is, is is from Edmonton. Um, so there is talent there, you know. And obviously, Fonzie has proven it uh, through his body of work in such a young age. So when we had the qualifying games here in November, uh, you know, great crowd at Commonwealth Stadium. We were talking before we started the interview here. You, you played uh, matches here. Were you one of those guys where you were thinking, just let it snow, just? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm thinking the opposite. I don't like that, man. I don't. I, as much as it plays into our favor, I, I don't like it, man. <laughs> that, that was a little. That was a little too cold, you know. Um, I had the opportunity to ask to go, and then when I saw the weather, I was like, ah, uh, you know what? I'll, I'll watch it from home, man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what, what do you remember about some of your uh, what do you remember about some of your matches here? I can't I can't recall oh, oh, if you man. ever had a cold so, weather. So, so, yeah. Definitely, definitely. I mean, that's why we play in Edmonton. Um, you know, we've we've played uh, Mexico there, we played Trinidad there. Um, uh, those games definitely stand out to me. I I can't remember who else we we played there. Um, maybe a Guatemala or something. Um, I was very fortunate to be on the uh, on the teams that. We're qualifying in the late in the ni- mid nineties with Leonard Doozy, um, to to witness that. Um, yeah, so yeah, I've, I've been I've been at a lot of matches in in Edmonton, and uh, you know it, it's the fans there are amazing. You know, there's no doubt about it. The support, the Canadian support, and the Canadian pride is is just is is amazing to feel and to see and to witness as a player. Every time we've played games there, the fans came out in support, loud. Um, and we saw that in the Mexico game, and and um, I enjoy playing there. Besides the weather, 
Fair enough. Uh, now, yeah. speaking of that, 2026, and there's a story today that uh, it looks like the province is going to, you know, support getting matches here. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, whether it's whatever three cities it winds up being, but what should we know about the importance, even if we only get three or four matches, like it's probably going to be the, the importance of actually being a world cup host city. Can you put that into words? Yeah. I mean, it's the biggest world sporting events known, known to the planet. <laughs> I mean, that's, you can't get, you know, there's nothing bigger than a world cup. I don't know how else to, to, to put it. I, I, you know, I was very fortunate to go to Russia to be a part of that and to see firsthand what the World Cup means to the econ- economic development, um, towards the grassroots development, um, you know, local kids like Fonzie that's, you know, had dreams and ambitions to play in the World Cup. Now they get to go to see games. They get to see their world international stars, um, you know, right in their backyard. And I think you can't, why, why this hasn't been a push for every province um, baffles me, to be honest, um, you know, because of, 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 of what World Cup brings to any, any country, right? And you're talking about fans from all over the world coming in and being that Canada is such a diverse country. Uh, there's a place for everybody. And um, there's definitely a place for, for World Cup in Edmonton. Um, I hope they get the, uh, the opportunity to host a few games because local local lo- the local football community in Edmonton is going to ele- uh, elevate from that. You know, like I said, it's going to inspire a new generation. It's going to help build probably fields in the community as as that's part of the development training uh, facilities that that these World Cup World Cup standards are going to need. It's going to build, you know, it's going to raise the profile of hotels because these players need to stay in you know five star hotels. So it's a huge, and of course, you got the mall, right? That's a big, <laughs> that's a big sell uh, as well. So. You know, it's um, it's 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 good on so many levels that um, I hope that they do follow it through and 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 get the nod. Well, that was cool. That was the first time I ever talked to Dwayne De Rosario, and you can hear his passion as he talks about Canadian soccer and about the current team and how outstanding they have been, and they are indeed World Cup bound. Pretty cool stuff. Okay, uh, shifting gears a little bit. Of course, late last week, one of the all-time great scorers in hockey history passed away. Mike Bossy died at the age of 65. Jim Matheson from Post Media covered Mike Bossy, of course, those playoff series in the 1980s between the New York Islanders and the Edmonton Oilers, and Matheson remembers Bossy. This might be sacrilegious, but I think that Bossy was a better goal scorer than Yuri Curry. And I guess statistically he was, because he, he got 573 and only 752 games, and Yuri got 601. Yuri was an absolutely tremendous player, but Bossy was... If he hadn't hurt his back, I think he could have scored 700 goals easily. Uh, Ten years in the NHL, and he was gone far too quickly as far as, you know, in terms of playing in the NHL, quitting at 30 years old and uh, with a bad back. And his last year, he, he had trouble tying his skates and still scored 38 goals in 63 games. Yeah, that's the amazing thing. If he could have played that full season, he gets to, to 50 again. Now, he liked to shoot a certain or at least early in the game what's the story here about how he would aim and what he would work on well he 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 liked to shoot five hole all the time so he would practice hitting the back bar in the net uh about 10 inches off the ice and when he could do that he knew that if he was ever in on a goaltender he could beat him five hole and he'd, he'd take a lot of shots at that inside 
back post, and uh, and if he hit it, then he'd work in the corners. But his strength was getting the puck away, you know, in a millisecond. As soon as it hit his stick, it was on the net. And he never, like Brad Hall, he never looked at the net. He just shot at the net, and it invariably went in. And his shooting percentage was phenomenal. Uh, he scored four goals in a game eight times, uh, and he scored those 32 goals on 52 shots. So... You know, he wasn't one of those those guys with a 13% shooting percentage. He was well up there, and um, and he wasn't a very big player. And back in the day, you know, it goes back a long time, Reed. But but that was back when Philadelphia was still tough, and a lot of teams were very tough. Boston was tough, and he took a lot of beating. Never fought, you know, didn't believe in fighting. Never fought, and took a lot of a lot of uh, hacks and whacks and stuff, but still scored tons of goals. Yeah, special player for sure. Very special team for Stanley Cups in a row until the Oilers knocked them off in the 84 Stanley Cup final. All right, we got a really special interview to look back on. Uh, Sergio Castillo, the kicker for the Edmonton Elks, had an absolutely incredible chat with him when he signed with the team. He's going to take you back to how he got into kicking a couple amazing kicks he made in high school and college. That's coming up next. Best of Inside Sports on Chet. Do you understand? I I can't hear you. What's going on tonight? I just watched the trailer for Thor Love and Thunder. That's going to... I'm very excited about that film. I, I got to tell you, I, I love what they've done with the Thor character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Anyway, that's a bit of an aside. Hope you're doing well. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Reed Wilkins with you. It is a uh, best of edition of Inside Sports tonight as we uh, look back on some of our favorite interviews in recent weeks. And this was an absolute beauty. Very in-depth, very honest. He signed with the Edmonton Elks as their new place kicker about a month ago, Sergio Castillo. Hey, I've learned in life um, relationships are key. And um, I remember back in 2015, my first CFL tryout ever was... uh, it was in uh, it was the spring of 2015 in uh, Herb Herbin High School, something like that in Dallas, Texas, and it was with Chris Jones, and I never got to play with him, you know. Uh, obviously, this past six years, but we kept the relationship, you know, just uh, hey, how you doing? Just catching up here and there. So uh, that's one thing I really appreciate. And then obviously with G Roy. He, he was the one that brought me in in, in 2019 with the BC Lions. And, uh, you know, we've kept in touch, you know, even though I went to, to New York and then ended up going to the XFL and, and then back to Winnipeg. And um, so like I said, one thing I've learned is that relationships are key and, and I appreciate people that that are genuine. And uh, that's why it kind of, you know, it made it easy to come to, to Edmonton and build something great. Yeah, well, we welcome you aboard, and obviously you're coming off a, a pretty great season with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I, I know you joined them a little bit later in the season, but just tell us about being a part of a championship team and, and what the, the, the keys for the Bombers being able to win their second consecutive title. I mean, they, they, when I got there, I mean, you can tell they, they have a great foundation with, with O'Shea, uh, Caleros, and just... Uh, you know that that whole team there there was just a very good solid foundation and i was just happy to to be part of the team and to to do my part and to help them uh in any way i can and even if it was if it wasn't just making field goals but to be the best teammate that, that i can be the best uh, you know uh brother that i can be to the guys because it's very tough being away from from family and i was only there for six weeks but there's guys that have been there you know for a whole season and then with 
you know, the whole COVID restrictions, families weren't able to go up there. So being able to be, uh, to have that type of brotherhood uh, was key. And, um, you know, just very fortunate to land in a situation where I was able to, to get the opportunities that I did get to be able to help a, a team and, you know, ended up uh, winning the Great Cup. Tell me what it was like kicking in that wind in Hamilton on Great Cup Sunday. Um. So, I mean, uh, like, I'm very fortunate that I live in Amarillo, Texas. It is super flat. I've been living here since 2009 since I came to college. And um, here we have winds that are like 20, 25 mile per hour winds uh, on the daily. So that played in my favor. Also playing there in 2017 with Hamilton, knowing how the wind comes in, you know, depending on the day, uh, definitely played in a uh, a key uh, point for us but then uh, more than anything too is just having the the confidence from Osh to send me out there having a smooth operation from uh, you know the holder and the snapper just made it easy for me so uh, you know but just more than anything having that familiarity of how the winds work and then here back in Amarillo the winds are pretty heavy on the daily well, what's the toughest CFL stadium to kick in? And, and maybe it's not win, maybe it's some other factor, but is there is there one that challenges you a little more? Uh, I haven't had, I mean, I, I mean, there, there, you just got to figure it out on the fly, right? But for me, the toughest game that I had was that Western final against Saskatchewan. Okay. Right. Because the, the wind was going, one minute it's going left to right, and then next minute I'm going to kick the kickoff and I'm confident the wind is going left to right and then it switches on you. So that was probably the the toughest game I've ever had in my career uh, so far. Okay, Sergio Castillo joining the Edmonton Elks here as a place kicker, joining us tonight on, on Inside Sports. You know, I'm hoping we can get to know you a little bit here. Tell us a little bit about coming up, playing football. Was it your primary sport as a kid? And if so, were you always the kicker on the team? Uh, no, my, my primary sport was uh, soccer. I used to be a goalie. And the way I started kicking was uh, when I was at La Jolla High School, I was in I was in band and I was in the drum line. And on Wednesdays during football season, uh, marching season, on Wednesdays we did not have band practice. And that's one Wednesday I recall going chilling with my soccer buddies and we were just, you know, kicking the ball around. Well, our head coach for soccer coach Julian Thomas, who's like a father to me, he had a couple of footballs and we were just kicking the football just for the heck of it. Didn't think anything of it. Fast forward, you know, the the fall season is over. We go into the spring. There's a couple of weeks left of my freshman year in high school. And he's like, Hey Sergio, you remember that one time we were kicking footballs, you know, back in August? I'm like, Yeah, I do. He's like, Well, the football team needs a kicker because uh, their kicker, he got kicked out of the team due to, you know, misconduct. I can't recall what the situation was. Long story short, I didn't go try out when they told me to because uh, I was just scared. I had my first girlfriend at the time, and she's like, hey, Sergio, you better not go try out because all the girls are going to like you, blah, blah, blah. And me being, you know, all bubble, I was like, yeah, I'm not going. I didn't go. And um, finally, I ended up going to the trial because a buddy dragged me. Well, school is over. The summer comes along, and I'm in band camp. I remember it was August the 8th, 2006. My band director, Mr. Adame, calls me. He's like, hey, Sergio, the football coach wants to talk to you. And I'm like, I ask myself, why does he want to talk to me? I had totally forgotten about the tryout a couple months ago. And 
I remember walking into the football locker room and I see two locker rooms, two lockers before I see mine. I see number 24, Richard Cantu, and number 27, Joe Gaza. And I saw number 26, Sergio Castillo. And that's how my football career started. I remember my first kick, it was October 13th. It was Friday the 13th, 2006. It was a game winner, 26 yards left hash. I didn't know how to celebrate, so I celebrated like I scored a goal in soccer and I screamed goal. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It's like it was destiny. It was the, they were going to get you one way or the other. That's a great story, Sergio. Exactly. So, and when I, when I was in high school, you know, I take off in halftime. I take off my pads, put my drum on, I march, and then uh, I will leave my drum, my bass drum, on purpose next to my kicking net. And when my boys from band they would come pick up the drum, they would leave me two tacos that they will get for their meal after marching and in the third quarter i'd be kicking field goals and chugging tacos <laughs> so okay so wait a minute you stayed in the so you did marching band and kicking duties on the same night double duty yes yes sir yes sir and we oh, were man. uh and we were a we were a school of six close to you know five fifty five hundred kids so i think we we're the second or third biggest high school in texas at the time so it was a pretty neat environment to it was to experience all of that, you know, and to play in front of nine, ten, eleven thousand fans on a consistent basis, and to be able to march as well was something that uh, you know I'll cherish forever. That's an amazing story. Thanks a lot for sharing that. So you, you, you start kicking, even though you, you, you were a little reluctant at first. And then I, I often ask pro athletes this, Sergio, because it had to start somewhere. You have to have that idea in your head, first of all. When did you start to think, hmm, like I, I wonder if I could do this professionally? When did that start to be a, a realistic thought in your head? So my junior year, we're in the fourth round of the playoffs, and I believe there's seven rounds to make it state state championship here in Texas. We're playing Converse Judson. We're losing, I believe the score was 14-7. And I remember the coach, there's four seconds left, he calls Fiogo. I remember I was on the left hash. I did not see how far the kick was. If not, I think I would have freaked out. And it was a 58-yarder right before halftime and just crushed it all rice and beans behind that ball and after that game that's when school started calling and i was and that's when i started the first seed the first thought like hey serge you know you maybe you can get a scholarship doing this and i was very fortunate i got a scholarship to west texas a m university small d2 here in canyon texas about 10 minutes from where i live now in emerald and uh, my first couple of years, I struggled. I did not like football. You know, I was, I did it because it was paying my school. Came from a single parent home, so for me to get a free education was was huge. You know, and my first, like I said, first couple of years, I did not like football. But then I started liking it because I started, I liked watching my friends on the team do well. And uh, fast forward to my junior year again, we're playing our homecoming game again against. Abilene Christian University, there's, again, four seconds right before the half, and I crush a 56-yarder. And after that, that's when I started getting that seed, that thought, hey, you know what, maybe you can go professional. Just started working it with my technique and, you know, the strength conditioning part, and just very fortunate the chips landed where they are. And um, I will say that nothing has been given. I've had to fight for almost, almost everything that I've 
that I've been able to to get. And I, but I've been very fortunate that the opportunities presented themselves. And I told myself, it doesn't matter if I have one percent, ten percent of making it. I'm going to focus on my folk, all my energy on that 10%, make it grow to 11, make the 11% grow to 15, et cetera. And I started focusing on what I can control. And to this day, that's what I do. Sergio, uh, thanks for sharing that. That's amazing. I just want to clarify something here. The, the first kick you talked about, the 58 yarder, that, that was in high school? Yes, sir. My junior year against Converse Jetson. You, you made a 58 yard field goal in high school. So you would have been, what, 16? Uh,. Yeah, fifth. Uh, so, so by that time we were. Yeah, it's, great, it's equivalent to grade eleven in Canada, right? If you're a junior. Yeah. So we were. Yes. Jeez. Yes, grade eleven. So we were. So we were already in Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving. So I had just probably turned. Yeah, I had just turned seventeen. Okay. Well. <laughs> well I can see I why school started calling. <laughs> I got to thank all the rice and beans that my grandma gave me as a kid because that gave me all the power and all the tortillas. <laughs> well, tell me about it. And I think you mentioned that answer. You're, you're from a single parent home. Can you tell me about the influence of family in your life? Oh, it's it's huge. It's immense. Uh, before sports, before anything, faith and family, is, is, it's, it, that's, that comes first. Uh, my mom and my two aunts and my grandma, they, they all raised me. So I was raised by four women. So it was a very strict uh, household. And uh, my family uh, migrated from Mexico uh, when they were younger. And so I'm a uh, first-generation Mexican-American. So, you know, for us, education was huge. The thing is, we did not have the blueprint. Uh, and, and there's a lot of first-generation kids here. They don't have the blueprint of what it takes to either pursue a degree or pursue athletics because in our culture, especially here in the U.S., it, we want the now, right? So, like, have you seen the movie Coco by any chance? I have not. If you have a chance, watch that movie, and it's it hit home hardcore, and it's our culture. I don't know why it's it, and and I feel like more people are trying to get out of that, but they're very scared of pursuing big things. And I recall family and friends saying, like, you know what, Sergio, like. Yeah, those dreams are too big for us. Like, you know, just, just go for the easy, you know, like once I graduated, they're like, everyone back home calls me junior. Hey, junior, come back home and just, just start working, start teaching. And, uh, and deep inside of me, I, I'm like, I feel like the, this seed was given to me. This dream was given to me and it's up to me to water it and to watch that seed grow, that plant grow, that dream grow. And, uh, so it was very tough with, with my family because they, they, they they're just kind of go for the secure thing. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, but I'm, I've always had the support of, of my mom and she's, you know, my number one fan. And she's, uh, always believed in me through, through thick and thin, you know, when I didn't have an offer to the, until the last day of signing day to sign up to WT, when I tore my ACL, when I've been cut nine times, my mom and now my significant other, Adriana Cavazos, um, you know, they've been with me through those times. So I believe in order to achieve whatever dream you're trying to pursue, it doesn't have to be sports, but whatever it is, you have to have a good circle of friends around you because you're going to be the average uh, of your five friends, I believe, right? And it's and it's things in life, you know, all different aspects, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. So if you're hanging out with people who are just constantly not trying to better themselves in any of those aspects, you're going to do the same thing, vice versa. So that's why I think it's key, and that's why I try to tell young 
athletes, young student athletes, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, right? There's that saying, right? So if you got to cut some people out so you can pursue, so you can get to where you want to go, do it because in the long run, you don't want to live with the what if I would have done this, what if I would have done that. That's the biggest um, thing that I hear a lot of my friends are like, man, I should have done this, I should have done that. The only regret that I have in life was not train out for snare drum because I stayed in base room because I was so scared. And I'm going to have to live with that regret for the most of my life. Very fortunately, that's the only regret that I have so far. So if people learn to get out of their comfort zones, get rid of their ego, their pride, their doubts, it's life is amazing and where it, where it can take you. Sergio, I, I got to thank you for making time for us tonight. I, I wish we had more time. I think Elks fans uh, knew that they were getting a great kicker, and uh, I think they've heard here in the last 15 minutes they're getting a gentleman with a great attitude as well, and I think they're going to make you feel right at home when you get to Edmonton. When are you coming up? Uh, so I just got, you know, report day, I believe, is exactly two months from now. So I'm going to keep working hard over here in Amarillo, Texas, um, you know, uh, spend time with the family. My girl, she's a head coach for, for girls soccer right now and boys. So they're about to enter the Texas uh, high school state playoffs. So we got that going on. Uh, so in about two months, I'll be up there and I'll be looking forward to some good Mexican restaurants. So if you can give me some advice, some golf courses, hey, let's do it. Sergio Castillo, unforgettable interview inside sports on 630 Chat. Okay, well, certainly an incredible run here lately for the Edmonton Oilers. They are 14-3-2 in their last 19 games. They have back-to-back shutout victories, both 4-0 Vegas on Saturday. They beat Nashville 4-0 back on Thursday. Mike Smith playing his best hockey of the season here with the playoffs coming up. And under head coach Jay Woodcroft, the Oilers are now 21-8-3. The Oilers practice today at Rogers Place. Kyler Yamamoto not on the ice. Maintenance day for him. Evander Kane not on the ice. A personal day for Kane. They're both expected to be available for Wednesday against the Dallas Stars. And Woodcroft has stressed to keep in the picture small, day-to-day business. But uh, he was asked today how he balances that with the excitement of the playoffs quickly approaching. I, I think I'm trying to uh, model uh, the behavior we're asking our team uh, to have, which is uh, I think we're a humble team and uh, we're an in-the-moment team. And, you know, whether you've won a game or you've lost a game or a few in a row, either way, I think it's important to be even-keeled and stay present. Um, It's hard to do sometimes, especially uh, if you haven't won in a while, the noise gets louder and louder. But sometimes when you've won a lot, uh, the noise gets loud and loud, and and you have to make sure that uh, you're grounded in a certain type of way. And um, as I said, I'm just trying to model that behavior for the rest of the team. You waited a long time and worked a long time for your opportunity. Now you're in the middle of it. What's the experience been like? And, I mean, I can imagine you really, really want this. And it's, you know, you're enjoying it and want to be able to keep doing it. Yeah, I feel very natural uh, uh, in this 
in this position. As you said, it's not uh, like I was just airlifted into it. I've put 17 years of work uh, to be ready um, should that ever that opportunity ever arise and I can tell you being the head coach down in Bakersfield that's something that we talked a lot to our young players down there was making sure that they focused on the things that they could control so that they were ready when it was their turn to get tapped on the shoulder and just like we talked about modeling behavior as coaches down in Bakersfield we tried to do the same thing with making sure that we were working at our game as coaches uh, refining our crafts and um, should the time ever come we wanted to make sure that we're ready for the opportunity all right a little bit there from uh, jay woodcroft who's done very well behind the bench here for the oilers that game against dallas is coming up on uh, wednesday night five o'clock for the face-off show six thirty puck drop here on six thirty. chad hope you had a great easter weekend big thanks to dave campbell he's the producer of inside sports angie quinnell is tonight's studio producer of course kellen kennedy often in that role as well so we thank both of them oilers now with bob stoffer from noon to two tomorrow and i'll be back with a uh, live edition of inside sports from six to eight my name's reed thanks for listening 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.